This is the word of the Lord. Then David fled from Naoth to Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I shall not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there's a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, Good, it will be well with your servant. But if he's angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, and why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I uh, knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? And David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap, and I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy saying, go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on this, uh, on this side of you, take them. Then you are to come in, for the, as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there's no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times. On the seat by the wall, Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul uh, did not say anything uh, that day, for he thought, uh, something has happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, 
David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him, so Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field uh, to, the appoint, to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And the boy ran and he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master, but the, the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and uh, bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying... The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and uh, even longer passages like this one. We pray that your Holy Spirit would draw out insights for us that you could lead us to our Savior, Jesus, and that we would receive him with faith and follow him with obedience. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, coming into the holidays, and it seemed appropriate to have a sermon about family. I know for some of you being with family, you're going to be with family in the, in the days ahead. And for some of you, that's a great blessing to be with your family. And for some of you, uh, it's a real challenge to go and celebrate Christmas with, with your family. You might have real mixed feelings about it. Well, there is a strange paradox in the Bible's teaching about family. It gives us two almost opposite commandments. The first is from the Ten Commandments, where it says you should honor your, mother, your father and your mother. And then Jesus comes... And says, unless you hate your father and your mother, you cannot be my disciple. So you're supposed to both honor your father and mother and hate your father and mother. Which is it? Well, somehow we're supposed to do both of these two things at the same time. And you might think that sounds impossible, but really what the Bible is saying is honor your parents, but give your ultimate loyalty to Jesus. 
And I think there's actual profound wisdom in that little formula to honor your parents, but give your ultimate loyalty to Jesus. And in this passage that we're looking at today, Jonathan is caught between his loyalty to his father, Saul, who's a really sinful king, who's been disobeying God and God's ripping the kingdom from him, and his loyalty to David, who is God's chosen one. He has his split loyalties. And I think Jonathan is a model for us of how we live in this paradox. While we love our families, we love Jesus, who is God's chosen one more. And so today, today I want to point out three principles that the Bible teaches us about dealing with our families as we uh, go into the holidays. And this is what the three principles are. We must honor our families. We must break loyalty with our families. And we must find our ultimate family in Jesus. Three important principles that we must honor our families. We must break loyalty with our families and we must find our ultimate family in Jesus. And I hope that these points spark some thoughts for you uh, as you uh, enter into this season. So three points for us today, and the first is this, that we must honor our families. We must honor our families, in particular, our parents. This is in uh, the unchanging moral code of God in the Ten Commandments, that we are commanded to show honor to our, our fathers and mothers. And it doesn't say honor your father and mother if they're righteous or if they're godly or if they're loving. It says you honor your father and your mother because God has commanded it. It is pleasing to God that when we do that, when we honor the office of motherhood and fatherhood, we believe in motherhood and fatherhood, so we honor our, our parents. And I wanna point out three things that Jonathan does in this passage I think are just helpful pieces of wisdom about what it looks like to honor our parents, okay? So the first is this. We begin by believing the best about our families. How do we honor our, our parents is by believing the best about them. And this passage begins with David coming to Jonathan saying, why does your father want to kill me? What does he have against me? And what have I done? And you'll notice Jonathan's response there. He says in verse two, and he said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does not does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. Jonathan is believing the best about his father, even his sinful father. And even that little phrase where he says, it is not so, that same phrase was used back in 1 Samuel chapter 14, when Saul actually wanted to put Jonathan, his own son, to death, and so Jonathan should know how violent Saul, his father, can be, but it appears that his default is to first believe the best about his father. It is a good thing to believe the best about people. It's a loving thing to believe the best about them. And you might think, you know, Jonathan's just naive. He won't admit his family's sins. You know, we always make excuses for our family's sins so we can cover their sins. Maybe that's what Jonathan's doing. No, that's not true. Because we're gonna see later in this passage that Jonathan's not afraid to name his father's sins. And yet, he is still willing to believe and hope the best about his father's intentions. And I'll tell you that if we don't do that, if we don't believe the best, start with believing the best, we have the potential to magnify our parents' sins more than they really are. Or we might blind ourselves to their virtues and we allow bitterness to form in us and we start end up being unjust towards our parents in, in our assessment of them. So the first thing, first 
bit of wisdom we see here is that we honor our parents by believing the best about them. Second, we honor our parents by considering our own sins. We honor our parents by considering our own sins. And so David, you know, basically creates this plan with Jonathan to determine whether Saul actually wants to kill him. And you'll notice what David says to Jonathan as they make their plan in verse 8. It says, Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And so Saul has tried to kill David three times. And, you know, Saul is really a wicked king at this point. And yet David is still open to the fact that he might be the sinner and he might be the one who's at fault. And we live in a culture that blames our parents for many of the problems that we experience in our life. And it's not uncommon that we go to counseling and we spend hours and hours thinking about the failings of our parents, but very little time thinking about the ways that we've wronged them and the sins that we've done against them. In God's sight, it does not matter how bad our parents were. Our parents' sins never give license to our own sins. Our circumstances never give license to our own sins. We must be vigilant as we consider our families of origin that we do not become self-righteous as if to think, you know, I'm really the righteous one in my family. You know, they're all messed up, but I'm the one who sees clearly. And uh, when we remember our own sins, it helps us to honor our parents in a third way. So we honor our parents by believing the best about them, by thinking about our own sins, our own failings. But the third thing is we honor those who don't deserve it. We honor those who don't deserve it. And this is one of the most important applications of the gospel that, you know, God honors you and you don't deserve it. He honors you. He's called you a son of the kingdom. You're a joint heir with Jesus of his kingdom and you don't deserve it. And so you should expect that there will be many people in your life that you will have to show honor to who don't deserve it. It might be parents. It might be a spouse. It might be a boss. It might be a teacher. There are many people that you have to show honor to who don't deserve it. Jonathan is a model of this of here because what is he doing? He's feasting with his sinful father. He goes and celebrates with him. Look at verse 24. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat. The king sat on his seat as at other times. On the seat by the wall, Jonathan sat opposite and Abner, Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. It was Jonathan's regular pattern to feast with his father, spend time with him, and to eat. And many of you are going to be feasting with your families who are difficult over the holidays. And if your family is difficult, maybe they believe different things than you do, and the conversations go down path that you don't want to go down, and there's a conflict that's going to be stirred up, and you wonder, why are we spending Christmas like this? It is, uh, it is not only that Jonathan is our model here, but Jesus is our model. When Jesus came to open the kingdom to sinners, what did he do with them? He ate with them. What does Jesus do with us every week when we come to this table? He feasts and eats with people who don't deserve to eat with him. This is the model of our Lord, and we follow him. Uh, it, it's pleasing to God and you are being like Jesus when you feast when you're, with your families on Christmas. And probably uh, 
the big challenge for our culture right now is to hear uh, the, the words of the Bible that say, honor your father and your mother. We honor them by believing the best about them, considering our own sins and honoring those, even those who don't deserve it by eating with them. And much of our uh, culture's critiques of our parents can often be self-serving, they can be self-righteous, they can even be destructive to our families. And so how can we both be honoring of our families while also being honest about the sins, their sins and failures of our families? Well, uh, when Christ is in you, two simultaneous things happen when Christ is in you, is you both give people things that they don't deserve, but you also refuse to ignore the reality of sin. You give people things they don't deserve and you, ignore the, you, you refuse to ignore the reality of sin. And so that leads to our second point, is that not only are we, we must honor our families, but second, the Bible says, we must break loyalty with our families. We must break loyalty with our families. And the reason I use that language, break loyalty, is because often families have unwritten rules of what it means to be loyal to the family. And if you break one of these rules, you maybe you've been told this explicitly, you are betraying our family through this action. And as much as Jonathan honors his sinful father, he's ultimately breaking his loyalty to him in this passage by giving his devotion to the kingdom of God and God's purposes in David. And I want to point out three qualities of biblical disloyalty to our families. Three qualities that we see in this passage, okay? First is, our disloyalty may look like cleverly avoiding sin. Our disloyalty may look like cleverly avoiding sin. Now, the main storyline of this passage is that Saul's having this feast, and David is not showing up at the feast. He's supposed to be there, and he doesn't show up. And, uh, and you see what it says there in verse 27, how it says, but on the second day, the day after the new moon, David, uh, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. Now this is not exactly true. I mean, I guess David asked to go to Bethlehem, but Jonathan knows David did not go to Bethlehem. David is lying and Jonathan is lying. And so how are we supposed to feel about that? Jonathan lying to his father, his sinful father, who wants to kill David. Well, uh, this is a theme that comes up in a number of places in the Bible where a righteous person is under the authority of a wicked king or a wicked husband or a wicked mother or father. And I think what Jonathan is doing here is best summarized by Jesus saying where he says to his disciples, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Jesus is saying you need to be crafty and harmless at the same time. And dealing with a difficult family may not always look like aggressively confronting things head on. It's like, you know, when the, if you've read the book of Exodus, there's a time when the Pharaoh tells all the Hebrew midwives that they're supposed to kill all the male babies that are born to the Hebrews. And so the midwives basically trick Pharaoh and sneak the babies away and save all of them. And they're clearly seen as righteous. They're being wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And I know that that might give some of you a bad feeling. 
Because you might say, I hate when my family is being manipulative like that. You know, they're subtly doing things behind the scenes. They're not being upfront and direct just so that they can get what they want in the family. Maybe you experience those dynamics in your family. This does, you can't be manipulative. Uh, you cannot manipulate people to get uh, done what you want. That's not being harmless as a dove. It's about protecting people and it's about honoring God. Jonathan is protecting David here and he's seeking the kingdom of God. And so that leads to a second quality. So our disloyalty on the one hand may look like kind of cleverly avoiding sin. But second, our disloyalty must be for Jesus' sake and not for our own. It's never to serve ourselves. Our disloyalty must be for Jesus' sake and not to serve ourselves. And Saul realizes at the feast that Jonathan is helping David and he's working against him. And you notice what Saul says there in verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. These are kind of crushing words from a father to his son. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? As long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. So basically what's happening is by Jonathan helping David instead of his father, if, if Saul stayed the king, guess who becomes king next? Jonathan. Jonathan is sacrificing his own reign as the king in Israel and saying, it's not about me. It's about God's purposes and it's about David becoming king. Disloyalty must always be about doing what is right before the Lord. It is not to serve ourselves. And so when Jesus says, unless you hate your father and mother, you are not worthy to be my disciple, he's not giving us license to be rude or manipulative to our parents. He means if you are put in a situation where we have to choose between Jesus and our family, it's with great grief that we say, my loyalty is to Jesus above my loyalty to my family. And this is a, such a profound truth. Because what Jesus is saying to all of us is who you are is not defined by your family. Who you are is not defined by the loyalty to your family, the expectations of your family. Or what your family says is this is, you know, what it means to, to love us and to, be, and to honor your parents. That's not what defines you. You are defined by the Lord Jesus Christ and your Father who is in heaven. And so disloyalty, on the one hand, looks like craftily avoiding sins, and, and it's for Jesus' sake and not for our own. But the third thing that we see in this passage is that our disloyalty will involve naming the sins of our family. Our disloyalty will involve naming the sins of our family. And you see there in verse 32, it says, Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? And it's in this verse that Jonathan finally confronts Saul, his father, with his sin and questions his own father. And as much as I think that our culture is too hard on parents, for those of us who are parents, we need to view our children as fellow Christians who have a right to come to us and say, this is how you've sinned against me. And uh, several years ago, I was on a, a road trip with two other pastors, and one of the pastors is an older pastor. He's 25 years older than I am. He actually just retired. And while we're on this road trip, the pastor was telling me about that when his children 
were grown, they were in their mid-20s, he sat down with each of them individually and asked them the question, what was it like to grow up with me as your father? And he knew it was gonna be a hard conversation. He said, I want you to be honest with me. And of course, there were good things, but there were hard things too. And he, want, and he apologized and he repented for the ways that he had sinned against his children. They were allowed to say that. What do you think his relationship with his children is like now? Well, he just retired and he's moving to be near them because his children want him close. And he want, they want to have a relationship with him. And he, and he views his children almost like equals. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. And they value one another. And, they, and it's, it's the great joy of his life to be near his children. But it was because he was willing to welcome this honesty we need to be differentiated from our children. We need to see our children, they are an other. They are an, a distinct other person. They're not swallowed up by my expectations for them or our family's expectations for them. They are their own person before God. And they have to make their own choices before God. And we must respect them as an other. And it's important to notice that Saul did not receive Jonathan's questioning, but he blew up in a rage. Are we going to be like that when we're confronted with our own sins as parents? Now, a word of wisdom here. If you are talking to your parents about their sins, be kind, be humble, be gentle. The Bible always says this whenever we are correcting someone. And also be precise. Don't overstate things. It's very easy to say things like, you know, all my problems came from you or you were never there for me. Now, there are situations where maybe a parent was never there for them. But most situations are not that, not that way. And also remember that most people find they are much more understanding of their parents' flaws once they become parents. And they realize how hard it is to be a parent. And they realize I'm not actually that much different than my parents. And they start to see the good things that their parents did. And so we should be slow to judge. It is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. Love covers a multitude of sins. These are all the complex principles that the Bible gives us as we relate to our families. And so this passage is an incredible study in wisdom. It's, it's a paradox but we must simultaneously both honor our families and break loyalty with our families because of Jesus. We honor our families by believing the best about them and considering our own sins and showing honor to those even if they don't deserve it. And we break loyalty by cleverly avoiding sin, not uh, only for Jesus' sake and not to serve ourselves, not to manipulate people, but by gently and honestly naming the sins of our family. And so how do we do this? How do we live in this kind of paradox? Well, that's our final point, is that we must find our ultimate family in Jesus. We must find our ultimate family in Jesus. And you'll notice in verse 35 how it says, in the morning, Jonathan went out into the field, uh, into the field to the appointment with David. And uh, in the morning is actually the third day. And actually that phrase, the third day, is, uh, comes up several times in this passage. This is the third day, the day of resurrection. And basically what's happened is Jonathan's family has died and a new family is being raised from the dead. 
And it's important to place stories like this within the Bible as a whole, that David was from Bethlehem, the place of Jesus' birth on Christmas. And Jesus was David's uh, distant descendant. Jesus is the greater David. And so Jonathan, giving his loyalty to David above his own father, is analogous to us giving our loyalty loyalty to Jesus above our own families. And what happens is Jonathan, uh, you know, brings a boy out into the field and David's hiding behind a rock and he shoots an arrow as kind of a message to David to say, you know, Saul does want to kill you. You're going to have to run away. You'd become a, he, David had become a part of their family and you're going to have to leave now. You're going to kind of go into a, a, an exodus. And so in the end, Jonathan and David meet together and I love these words. Look at verse 42, what it says. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Jonathan is basically saying to David, I'm joining my family to your family. My children and your children will be joined together. Which on the one hand means that even if we lose our families, because of our loyalty to Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, I will give you a new family. In Mark 10, he says, truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Jesus promises us if we lose our earthly families, he gives us the spiritual family of the church and with God as our father and brothers and sisters. We find our ultimate family in Jesus. But not only that, Jonathan is saying that his family is gonna be healed by being joined to David's family. I'll tell you, I've experienced that in my own life. With my own parents, when I was younger, before I was a Christian, my parents had to kick me out of their house because I brought such destruction to our family. And when I came to know Jesus, I wasn't rejecting my family. He was the only one who could heal my family. By being disloyal to my family to follow Jesus, I'm actually bringing the only thing that brings hope to the healing of my family. And he did heal my family. And this is our prayer as we head into the holidays. And so in Jesus, you can live in this paradox, giving honor to your parents while also not giving them your ultimate loyalty. When your loyalty is to Jesus, the son of David, he will give you an abundance of brothers and sisters and mothers, and above all, he'll give you a great father who's in heaven, who knows you, who speaks well of you, who is righteous, who's good, who is wise. May he surround you with his love during this Christmas season. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for the wisdom of your word and we pray for your Holy Spirit to help us to understand our families. That we would have the mind of Christ to see the love that you've shown to us even though we don't deserve it. May we be like you. And as we give our, our deepest loyalty to you, would you bring healing to our families? So we open our hearts to you in Jesus' name, amen.